Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Wednesday night edition of the pod. We've got our gamers to get to here, Cleveland and Boston. Boston uh, shutting down the Cavaliers as they really struggled to convert from outside in that one. I just want to talk a little bit about what we saw from Isaiah Thomas in his return on Tuesday night. Also, we weren't planning on doing this game, but it turned into actually a really good one, Golden State and Dallas. And then going to look at New Orleans getting a big win in the playoff race at Utah, uh, in addition to maybe a little bit more on some various games uh, that we watched uh, to some small degree. So why don't we start, uh, Danny, in Boston, where it was a 102-88 win for the Celtics in rather comfortable fashion. Yeah, I I think the Celtics played well, and they definitely outplayed Cleveland in this game. And I'm immediately going to throw a little bit of a wet blanket on that by saying I didn't see anything in this one, especially with Isaiah being out, but either way, really, that made me think I I didn't see anything when I watched this and go, oh, that's going to be big in a seven game series between these two teams that's played months from now. Boston played well. They deserve credit for that, but it didn't change the way I think about these two teams. So you're going to say that 35 points from Terry Rozier and Marcus Smart combined on seven of 12 three point shooting is unlikely to recur or kevin love shooting one for 11 from the field including some after he sprained his ankle i mean boston does deserve some credit uh, jared weiss and i had a discussion about this and i would love for there's people who have done research into this with boston's def- like the three-point shooting against them they've been really good this year i think they've been good over the stevens years about whether there are some teams that kind of defy our maxim on it but generally speaking cleveland isn't going to shoot eight of 32 from three so celtics i mean I mean, it's great that they played well and especially that they got that from their bench because they are going to need some of those guys in the playoffs you know starters play more minutes but they'll need some good bench play and they deserve credit for that but there is a limitation to that in terms of transferability the one big thing and this was expected but still nice to see was now that Marcus Morris is more the way back physically that he started this game instead of Aaron Baines even though Baines did some nice things in his 17 minutes yeah Baines also had a weird sprained ankle although he was able to return where he just like was running back on defense stopped to kind of go up and guard a pick and roll and then just sprained his ankle with nobody else around him but you mentioned Morris still been a struggle for him offensively he was only one out of six but plus 16 all of the Celtic starters other than Horford were solid in the plus minus and Morris you know many have said that he does one of the better jobs on LeBron James going back to his Detroit days so much switching involved though that 
it's not necessarily just a, a one-man effort because you know they're just going to switch basically any screen even some pretty low resistance ones involving lebron unless Kyrie is involved but morris does give them a, another element jalen brown had missed time he's back now uh and they're able to get just more of those big switchable bodies they also played semi ojale 23 minutes and while i i think really for me though this is a game where boston played pretty well they stopped the Cavs. maybe they'll be able to hold them down a little bit better the Cavs didn't even have a single 20 point score in this game but you know i don't think that this team has enough firepower i mean even in this game you know they really were only slightly above a, a point per possession and unless Kyrie irving is going to really go off which you would think that he would it's surprising that he only had 11 points in this one um you know i don't think that they can outscore cleveland because they're not going to hold cleveland down four times in seven games to this kind of an offensive performance i don't think along those lines this one of the questions with the Cavs and the Warriors especially because those teams just have such a long track record and now especially the Cavs are are an older team it's it was interesting to me that this was not a game they got up for defensively it seemed like that was more the Isaiah return game yesterday against Portland where they they had some moments where they played well defensively in this game and it was it was LeBron in show mode a lot Boston got 28 shots in the restricted area they made 16 of those and it wasn't all one guy and you know Terry Rozier getting hot was largely independent of that but I was surprised by that because there were like there were elements of it that you thought oh these two teams you have the Kyrie element you know Cleveland just trying to assert it I remember back when you and I were sitting in a hotel room in Portland last year in in April when the Cavs had one of those distinct non-show mode games where they really did bring it out right before the playoffs started and I thought we would see more of that I am I'm not like disappointed or anything like that I'm just surprised yeah and they take a a lot of it from LeBron uh love sprinting his ankle uh, about halfway through his stint and then he eventually just when he was down they decided he was only gonna play 20 minutes and he wouldn't return he clearly was uh, limping around um so yeah i didn't think they had it defensively but i mean the bigger problem here for cleveland is just they couldn't hit a shot in this one they were eight out of 32 on threes and outside of kyle corver hitting four shots four threes in a row during the second quarter they were really cold and then there were a further three out of 19 on mid-rangers so that made them 11 out of 51 on jump shots that's basically 20 percent on all jumpers so this is a team that really relies on that they were setting up usually some pretty good shots and just were not able to to hit them um and once boston took a 14 point lead in the third you know this wasn't one of those games where you felt like the tide coming back from cleveland you know jeff van gunny was noting just their general lack of energy on the boards and going after loose balls so it it was uh you know clearly a game in which you know it didn't really matter that much to Cleveland and I do think one thing that will help them when Isaiah is back is like he is a guy who really cares and who really you know despite his size limitations plays really hard and plays with pace and I think he as you noted last night uh is someone who can kind of inject them with some more energy as they really are kind of in the doldrums here and it makes sense also because he'll help get other guys clean looks depending on how they run a stagger with LeBron and the Cavs are a team that their defense can be motivated by their offense that happens a fair amount also they defend less often in transition where they've ritually gotten killed not as much in this game i mean there were there were a couple of those moments and they boston as we've talked before they've been they were only credited with nine fast break points to me they had more that were against the non-set defense and i mean cleveland has so many culprits and that sort of a thing i mean wade had a couple possessions where he was complaining about calls love had one where he was he thought he got hacked and i i saw him gesticulating to the ref and then i saw i was just kind of started to counter my head of like when will i see him on the screen again and i think it was about four full 
yeah, seconds. And, and it was after Jason Tatum's three went through the rim is when, is when yeah. you saw him. <laughs> right. Where, where Again, and, that, and that was the three. They had a nice run of shooting early in the third with, with Tatum. Jason Brown, or, or uh, I'm sorry, Jalen Brown hit a three. And so they were, uh, that's what put them up 14, that play you were talking about. And then, you know, it really never got below 10 after that point. Well, and something also, you talked about how Corver was really the only guy on the Cavs who were hitting threes. One thing that surprised me was that the Celtics didn't, their bang guys weren't doing it either. I mean, so their starting five was like three of 17 from three. And most of those looks were pretty clean. A couple of them were contested, but not a ton. There was also a play that struck me, I think it was in the second quarter. This was not a good Jay Crowder game, really on, on either end of the floor. But he yeah, had yeah. one two, play two where- Two of 12, negative 15, 0 of six on threes for Crowder. Where he was, he was way behind, I believe it was Kyrie Irving. And Irving went up for a three and Jay Crowder got the the kind of foul that bothers me more than almost any other one where he wasn't there to contest the shot but then still fouled the jump shooter because he got there late he contested a little bit too hard and ran into him and it was more of the leg contact and he was all mad about that but if you didn't affect the shot don't get in there to try where, where it's close enough for you to draw a foul because that's more it's not necessarily fake hustle it's just mistimed hustle sometimes but those sorts of plays like it are are even more devastating in a certain way when you're off defensively just because hey they actually would have gotten a stop on that play or that uh, stop is a strong word they would have not allowed any points but because he was a little bit late and just ran into him they get they got three sh- three foul shots and uh i might have i might not have been on him i'm trying to remember who that was on because boston only took 11 free throws in this entire game uh, well crowder uh, more to the the macro point just uh, the last couple of games really does you know never been an explosive athlete but really when he attacks the rim off a of one foot he really is just not getting up uh, at all he's getting blocked missing a lot of layups around the rim and he was not really you know sometimes depending on how he's playing Lou will go back to him to close a half but it did not do that in this game um I'll just give you a few random observations here a lot of notes on this one uh Daniel Tice was 5 of 26 on threes coming into the game and hit two in a row during the second quarter including a pump fake sidestep three um, so that that was interesting that was a, he, he came in when Baines uh, had sprained his ankle I don't think he was necessarily part of the game plan as they were going smaller against this Cavs team uh, Channing Fry again didn't really play at all that they, they went with Tristan Thompson he didn't do a ton in this game Fry only played late and the, when it was out of hand um, I thought that the Kyrie Irving pick and roll was something that I Kyrie can get basically any shot he wants to and in an isolation against Jose Calderon and then also he was really the big impetus you know with Calderon guarding Kyrie and then Kevin Love out on the floor trying to hedge against pick and rolls involving Kyrie with the starting unit for Cleveland that it was uh really opening up a, a lot of stuff behind the play for Boston that was really one of their more reliable offense offensive sets um and Kyrie you know still frustrating a little bit that you know when he's matched up against a Calderon he's taking a step back three you know going to his right fading away which of course he can hit but you would hope hey you know what either get a great shot or get penetration force them to double team or make sure that you like shake him so badly that you're just absolutely wide open so i i, I that's always been troubling for me with Kyrie because he's just too good to take such bad shots when he's being guarded by the likes uh, of calderon and then on the other side we didn't see too much of it the boston matchups were interesting with cleveland closing the first half with both corver and smith on the floor they put marcus smart the better defender on corver who had been torching them and they hid J- uh Kyrie on jay 
jr and so cleveland tried to get the pick and pop going uh, with jr and lebron but then for some reason jr like he rolls to the basket on these plays which is just i don't know why he does that you're not he's not a roll threat like how about you pop instead uh, but so they didn't really get much uh, on those plays but i expect that to be a staple late in games when these teams match up and it means something yeah and you talked about Kyrie settling for shots that was uh, something that we'll probably talk about later because that was something i noted with kevin durant who had a lot of favorable defensive matchups but also we talked about it briefly but we should talk about terry rozier had that big run at the beginning or sorry the end of the first quarter so he came in and i think that's what really swung the game so he had uh, a three and then he got a tip and then he got another three so that was it was eight points really helped kind of swing the game get the crowd enthusiastic boston ended that first quarter with an an 11 point lead and you know, he's not going to have that game every single time, but he can do that a couple of times in a series. And it, it's a real big help to Boston. Yeah. And he's been hitting the three ball a little bit better this year, you know, mid thirties, high thirties, or just beyond it, where he's been. And actually, you, know, you mentioned the eight point run in, you know, his three minute stint. He actually just in the last 30 seconds of quarters scored seven points in this game. Um, And his, he brings the type of energy. I mean, I think if there's any way for Boston to really be competitive against cleveland it is just with their energy and their youth and getting loose balls and beating cleveland down the floor and getting offensive rebounds from random guys like smart and rosier and just having so much athleticism and length on the floor that cleveland just cannot deal with it and now when lebron is more engaged that is going to be less of a deficit for cleveland but it was an impressive game defensively but again much of it coming down to the fact that love was not particularly engaged they did not really get love in the post very much at all in fact there's a period in the first quarter where uh horford and love just like took turns stopping each other in the post repeatedly <laughs> uh horford trying to post up on love didn't really work very well uh, although horford eventually was relatively efficient in this one um so i i think cleveland you know they have a lot of other stuff that they can go to that's going to cause problems and lebron he was awesome in the first half seven of eight from the field and then went one for his last seven and ended up only playing 30 three minutes as they kind of called off the dogs uh in the fourth quarter i was trying to think of a parallel for the idea you were talking about with the celtics in the in a series with cleveland and i guess what it could be is sort of like what happened to the spurs against okc when they just were out they the athleticism was a big problem but the difference there was the okc also had length and you know boston it's not like their length is bad i mean they're playing oftentimes they're playing jalen brown and they have marcus smart who plays above his above his height obviously but it's a little bit different with cleveland so I, I do think that that's the tact for it. And I think that's the way they're going to the way they're going to win a series. But it is interesting because obviously there are ones in the earlier rounds where that sort of thing can happen. But when you think about a conference finals, that doesn't often tilt it, but it certainly can. A few other notes here. Uh, Jason Tatum struggled to finish around the rim early. That's something that he, you know, if he gets a, a chance to dunk it, he'll look good. But uh, on layups, not, you know, it, it sometimes will get the explosions. He's not great at dealing with the contact around the rim yet. I think that's something that will come uh, for him uh, but he came on it as the game went on uh he just about broke Kyle Korver's ankles out of just a straight triple threat jab step where he drove in for a layup uh, using the threat uh, of his three ball uh, in the
in the he had a nice play in the third quarter as part of their run to break it open where uh he crossed over got to his right hand and then threw a nice pass uh, cross court to al horford for a left corner three um jalen brown just has no idea how to guard lebron james still i mean just he like tries to get his body on him and lebron just spins off him and he just he, he just doesn't know what he's doing he has no leverage doesn't understand how, how to use his body at least didn't commit any fouls they did not go with jalen really hardly at all as the primary defender on lebron that uh and but on the few times they got matched up on switches uh lebron just dominated him um what else do you have on this one anything i think that's about it okay well let's do a quick read and then we can discuss isaiah thomas's game from last night and, and get to the rest of the show one new year's resolution people are always like oh i'm gonna get a gym membership i'm gonna work out more you can also just uh you know have a resolution to be a little bit more comfortable this year and do that with a me undies membership you can get fresh new underwear or socks delivered to your door with bold classic or adventurous prints and what i like about them is just they fit perfectly it's made from a sustainably sourced naturally soft fabric that's three times softer than cotton the most comfortable pair of underwear that i have owned always the first underwear when the laundry is done that i will use and we also know that underwear just regularly wears out so that's why this membership plan which will save you a bunch of money is the way to go with meundies they have an exclusive offer just for downtown listeners until january 20th you can get 20 percent off your membership and free shipping that's 20 percent off an already discounted membership they are so sure you will love their underwear they offer a 100 percent satisfaction guarantee if you order a pair and you don't love your first pair you will get a full refund so become a member today for the best membership you'll ever sign up for meundies.com slash capspace is that url that's meundies.com slash capspace become a member today and start enjoying all the perks of me undies membership and start wearing the best underwear of your life that's meundies.com slash capspace let them know that you came from us with that slash capspace url so isaiah was outstanding last night i thought given the amount of rust that he had ended up with 17 points i misspoke earlier in 19 minutes 6 of 12 shooting three assists and how did he look to you just physically danny better than i expected so he was coming off that torn labrum in his hip and my expectation was that they were going to have it at a point where he was stable but that he just wasn't all the way back physically and certainly you know his burst wasn't a hundred percent but he was able to generate separation he was able to reasonably stick with the players he was guarding and he had some reasonably tough assignments they did have him largely it was a mix but he played he start he came off the bench and he played a mix with the starters and not with the starters yeah he, he was guarding Connaughton a lot I mean they right. definitely weren't like hey go guard Damian Lillard though you know that it was something that he did to some degree and one thing that is a little bit different about him and Kyrie is Isaiah will at least try to fight over a screen you know I mean like, like there's one time he was guarding Lillard and Lillard got a screen and and went for the three but Isaiah at least was like you know kind of on his hip a little bit you know which is more than uh, Irving has been better in Boston still has his issues but you know if you compare Irving Cleveland uh to Isaiah at least that's something that Isaiah will give you so you can at least hope to play conventional pick and roll defense with him a, a reasonable amount of the time and that he'll fight over you know that's not where the big weakness is it's more he's just so short as a help defender and then you know if he gets down in the post but pick yeah, and roll there, defense there, is not awful there was that play where he got caught under the rim i think it was it was a minu was some was there and he just uh, ed davis ed davis just was, didn't yeah. even notice he was there basically and isaiah depending on how they use him could be a, a real godsend for tristan thompson just because he's good at finding big guys in those circumstances and i like that they played him also with jay crowder one of the guys that he's familiar with and there were a couple plays where he passed jay crowder open which is exactly what you want a point guard to do and so yeah i thought you the stat line is nice but for me when you're watching a game like this 
this, I'm never very from the idea that it's more about watching them physically, how they move, how comfortable they are, rather than that. Because if he, if he, a couple of those shots hadn't gone in, it wouldn't affect the most important part of this game. And so I thought that was, he had both parts of it working there. And that's good. I mean, Cleveland does not need Max Isaiah Thomas to, they're not pushing like, oh my God, if we, if we don't get the one seed, everything's, everything's falling apart. But the closer he is now, the closer they can expect him to be in April, May, and June when this really matters. Yeah. And we saw, you know, he did like his little Smitty move. I thought one play that was real nice was like, he was driving down the right side of the lane. Ed Davis kind of thought he had him contained. And then he jump stopped immediately to his left and was able to create a passing angle to Dwayne Wade, who got fouled on a layup. Wade actually was awesome in that game too, with uh, his cutting along the baseline, which Isaiah had a nice chemistry with him already, I thought as well. But the eight three-point attempts was good. I mean, the three ball looked good for him a lot of times when guys come off of a layoff. I mean, and I thought just the aggressiveness that he showed, you know, Dylan Murphy had a good point on Twitter saying that for Isaiah, he's one of those guys who can come in next to LeBron James and have enough confidence to kind of play his game. But the good news is that Isaiah is actually efficient when playing his game, unlike, you know, say like a Jamal Crawford type guy who's less efficient and still takes shots out of the hands of your best player. So I I thought, you know, his movement was good. His off-ball movement was good. And he just, he provides a a pace that this Cavaliers team can use uh, on offense where, you know, and it's not even necessarily pace and like running it down people's throat, but just quick movement, quick decisions, coming off the screen, moving the ball quickly. You know, I think that's something that he learned, especially in Boston, and that he can add to this Cavs squad. Cleveland already could put together some really fun offensive lineups with LeBron and a bunch of shooting around him. But if you think about either replacing LeBron with Isaiah in some of those lineups and going with different guys, or just using both of those guys together, Cleveland can just, they can throw some lineups out there that no team can really defend that well. And I'm excited to see how they use Isaiah and Kyle Korver together. You know, two guys that have been in it, that have competed against each other kind of in some different settings but now they've never been teammates and i'm i'm excited to see how all of these combinations work i always like that with with point guards when they get into new circumstances and we're going to have plenty of time to evaluate it hopefully between now and the rest of the regular season so let's get to utah and new orleans now this is a big game and utah coming in was 16 and 21 and but you know it's pretty similar playoff odds to the pels the utah would have been favored in this game and the pels winning this one on the road was big they upped their playoff chances just with this by about 10 percent, i think and lowered utah's by about 10 percent based on those 538 odds so this is one of those ones that you we may go back to and say yeah you know what they lost it uh and they won pretty handily at utah it was a 108 98 pels win led by ad you had 29 points in uh 41 minutes actually he had to play a little bit more because demarcus cousins was uh in ridiculous foul trouble again um but the big story here was utah just not being able to hit a shot uh, outside of the restricted area yeah i mean they they had a lot of trouble as jump shooters i mean they they were seven to 32 from three and donovan mitchell you know still having a wonderful wonderful season and still put up 24 points on 17 field goal attempts because he had another five shooting possessions from the line when he was nine of ten rubio struggled from the field and was negative 20 i didn't realize it was that bad i knew he struggled i didn't realize it was that bad negative 20 and 24 minutes and and so they weren't really getting that part of their offensive foundation and so you go oh you know sometimes if rubio mitchell or cold don uh, uh Roddy hood can really deliver but he didn't have a great offensive game either so they didn't no no he had an awful he yes. was one of 11 so he, he was miserable in this one so they didn't really have that 
kind of foundation foundational offense that that can be important for them but one area that they did succeed in a little bit which should be troubling to pelicans partisans is that utah is not the greatest running team they've been better to my eyes this year than in previous years partially because they have significantly better personnel they've been playing one big most of the time they have ricky rubio and mitchell can push it a little bit but new orleans has been pretty bad in transition this year we talked about it in the 15 and 60 and utah was able to run on them more than i expected they would yeah it's really the only way that they're able to be effective was running and they got the Pels had a bunch of turnovers in this game too which did not help them at all that was really the one place where they were not effective offensively um i think the biggest takeaway for this one for me was a couple of things number one was that rondo again did not close this game uh his role was minimized i think he got the keith bogans in both has and actually was effective from a box score standpoint he he was five and nine and had 12 points was very much dominating the ball especially at the start of the third quarter um but yeah got the keith bogans started but never came back in the game at, at being subbed out and i think part of the reason for that was that the jazz were closing with donovan mitchell at point guard in these halves not playing rubio and so the feeling is i, I think gentry is starting to realize like how bad rondo is defensively most of the time you know just the, the lack of effort that he has and he got as much as he was scoring he was getting smoked by rubio at the start of the third quarter as well just like a straight line one-on-one drive he got beat and then rubio just easily went back door on him as well on a play where you know he, he went back door on a dho where it's like are you really that scared of Ricky rubio coming off a dho he's not going to shoot that ball um but so they felt like hey you know I, I this is my guess but i would they said hey you know we can't have rondo trying to guard donovan mitchell or rodney hood so instead we're going to go a little bit bigger and they went with a lineup that i think actually might be their best unit which is holiday who was awesome in this game we'll get to that etuan moore who was not awesome with six turnovers but still can shoot the ball and is a solid defender and then darius miller at the three along with cousins and davis but amazingly that unit has barely played together this season i knew i hadn't seen much of them because that lineup makes intuitive sense like basically the idea behind it is you have a shooter with all these other guys and he's the the shooter they have that has the most reliable one that has size you know like here's here's some sense to it you have a one a two a three a four and a five on the court yeah that, that's <laughs> they true basically they basically don't have with any of their other lineup so so i knew i hadn't seen it much and that's what led and you and you're you're talking about it led me to want to look it up and i was shocked that it was even more pronounced than i had expected so they had played 11 minutes together before tonight's game that was 22 possessions according to clean the glass 11 minutes i think on both ctg and on on it on stats on nba and they played 15 minutes together after tonight positive i mean in this game positive overall and what is more jarring than that is that it is so there are five different variants that the pelicans have used with drew holiday etuan moore anthony davis and demarcus cousins they've used rondo of course that's been most used they've used uh, dante cunningham there they've used ian clark and to have miller be the least used of those is strange because he's the one i mean you could argue cunningham if they think he's a three but those are the guys that make the most sense with the other personnel because using ian clark i think they've done like 80 something minutes with that i think some of that was based on injuries and other things earlier in the season but that's putting ian clark in a pretty rough position so i i'm encouraged that gentry went to that when the going gets rough and then the other part of what gentry chose to do was it wasn't that he went away from using a second point guard sized guy with drew holiday it was that he went to jameer nelson instead jameer nelson came in late in the third quarter and played until they replaced him with each one more late in the fourth i think it was 
about three and a half minutes to go yeah so this will be interesting to monitor i mean i think maybe they they'll probably continue to start rondo and it wouldn't surprise me even if rondo was enticed to sign there by promises of him starting um you know he's on that one year four million dollar deal but you know not like he had some other great offers to to entice him but nonetheless you would imagine that those were the discussions that were had something along those lines uh so yeah the the pals who is going to be their fifth guy you know i think more holiday cousins and davis are are obviously guys who are going to be in there probably no matter what at at this point at the end of games uh the other thing that that i thought is just demarcus again just an absolutely asinine foul to get his fourth foul and take himself uh, out of the game and they probably that was probably actually good for the pels because ad at least in this game because ad played more and they didn't really have like cousins by himself with no ad time which is where they've really gotten killed this year so on this play demarcus was switched on to joe johnson who's playing at the four joe does the same move that he's done eight billion times and kind of gets a slight shoulder past cousins and then you know puts his shoulder into him to kind of you know knock him off and create space for the jumper and cousins you know i mean this is some a play that happens you know eight million times a game took exception to that you know i mean joe johnson is like 255 but demarcus is probably you know like 280 or something and then you know with already three fouls early in the third quarter just decides that because he was mad that joe did that and because joe uh, no foul was called on him that demarcus just basically like fouls him in retaliation giving up free throws and also just taking himself out of the game like he just completely lost his composure what is fouling him back at that time gonna do i mean at the very least if you feel like it was a cheap shot just like wait and get his ass later you know like i mean <laughs> if you're just gonna like grab him like you accomplish nothing at all like you follow him so then you can like start yelling at him. and then the best part of it is demarcus goes to the bench and he's like screaming at the rest call the fucking foul call the fucking foul like you could hear it through the tv and you know he didn't get teed up but it's like you know for demarcus when he gets his tees i mean you know that's the kind of stuff that he doesn't get teed up for you know i mean like that's and he's just screaming it from the bench so loud that the microphones can hear it and just for him the way he plays defensively and you know he's having a wonderful offensive season he's probably gonna make an all nba team for me when we do our award show tomorrow but still i i just question how far you can go with someone with that type of an attitude and that kind of type of inconsistency and just everyone on the team knowing hey you know what we can't rely on this guy on a game-to-game basis i was thinking about it in the context of first of all playing on a bigger stage which he's going to going to do in all likelihood this year than he has before but also the idea of committing to him so next year you know moving forward he's signing he's going to sign a big contract with somebody we don't know who it's going to be but that's going to be his 28 29 30 31 season something in that range and so how how does that affect him physically and and most guys figure it out by this by exactly and that's what i was getting at. like so so what are you committing to with him you're obviously he's insanely talented like he's physically one of the most talented guys for his size we've seen in a long time there happen to be a bunch of other physically talented guys around his size that are coming in right now but they're a lot younger and he's more fully formed than they are but he doesn't have that element where you go i'm an important player on a team that has real aspirations now i can't pull this stuff anymore you know even if i'm mad you sometimes you just have to let it roll past you and i've criticized other players for their lack of awareness in terms of like fouls and situation and that they commit fouls because they're they're that are unbefitting their role demarcus cousins is at a whole different level because i don't even have those expectations for him i just you know he's just going to be demarcus yeah and you know just even when it's just like frustration and mental mistakes and not getting back on defense because he's pissed off or just you know losing focus for a couple of possessions because something happened with the refs it's just you know and by all accounts he is like a, a nice 
nice guy in the community and stuff like that but it just cannot compose himself on the court and and that is taking away from the fact that this is a, a nice pelicans win it and the other thing that i thought was very interesting as we saw utah you mentioned going with basically you know one true big they put jarebko in and then also uh i don't think cephalosha played in this one um he did not no yeah he he was not available i think they missed him a, a fair amount uh, defensively but with joe johnson with jarebko ad for one of the first times this year really got on the offensive glass he and i like the formula for the pels i mean they shot it extremely well in this game uh but they had seven offensive rebounds all seven of those were by ad and cousins and ad had four cousins had three ad got another one on a loose ball foul and the offensive rebounding was enormous because they scored 2.17 points for every offensive rebound that they got in this game so with with and ones with threes that they got off of that they were so insanely efficient and when ad and cousins are the guys getting those rebounds they're right under the basket they're huge they can just go right back up for the putback in very efficient fashion fashion they're not going to kind of dennis rodman it where they just you know they get the offensive rebound they're going to throw it out you know they're not going to reggie evans or danny forts in it so uh that was really useful and i still hope to see more of that from the pels um which you know does seem somewhat counter to gentry's philosophy last thing on the pels before we talk a little bit about the jazz uh drew holiday looked very athletic in this one you know he had a missed dunk but you know kind of went in and, and it was one of those ones where like oh this is a half court like you're kind of surprised that he went for the dunk he missed it but he went up with two two hands off of one foot he had another nice drive where he rejected a screen and went in for a nice double pump or reverse so he looked bouncier than we're accustomed to, to seeing from him and it did most of his damage on two pointers you know he's been hot from on jump shots but uh was 10 out of 16 on this one uh, eight of 11 on two pointers for his 24 points one other thing i wanted to mention from the pelicans perspective is that they didn't attempt their first free throws in this game until three about three and a half minutes left in the third quarter and yes uh, uh joel joel myers and david wesley were having uh ha- having a little bit of fun with that they were and, and and they didn't then they got a lot in the fourth they ended up getting 10 free throws yeah. in the fourth and it was an important part of their their push at that point and just kind of you know holding on and and keeping all of it but because they had they had 27 points in the fourth quarter and i think yes at 10 of those i think or something like that came from the line yeah um th- th- that was a, a amusing although utah is not a, a high foul team um and in part of it was that they just you know weren't playing great defense in this one for utah ricky rubio and has now they're bringing him in early with the idea that they're going to close with mitchell at the point they're bringing him in early uh in the fourth and, and second quarters and then you know taking him out with about six minutes to go and that however leaves him in the game at the same time as epe Udo. and with those two guys in a pick and roll combination really is just you're not getting anything um and with that being the primary impetus of the jazz offense uh especially late in the third early in the fourth they really just were totally grinding their gears when donovan mitchell was out of the game and so that's going to be something to watch as well and i think when rudy gobert comes back and then you've got favors and rubio together i think you're going to be much better off as a pick and roll combo there um because favors is a guy who can catch the ball free throw line and make some plays which Udo is just not going to do and then especially you throw in as well anthony davis at center i mean he doesn't look like he's trying that hard out there but every one of every pick and roll they ran against him when he was the five and he was playing conventional pick and roll defense just went absolutely nowhere i mean he was just swallowing it up in conventional pick and roll defense it was very effective there um the big run came with ad at center and with Udo and rubio out there they tried to go to joe johnson a fair amount and he was on fire he had a season high 20 points but wasn't effective during that particular stretch 
and the Pels hit a couple of threes Joe is really bad defensively at this point like he he overhelped on an Ian Clark drive and then just gave up a wide open corner three to Dante Cunningham uh then AD got a pick and pop three that was huge so all in the last minute of the third quarter to push it from a three-point lead to a nine-point lead and the Jazz never really were able to get back in contact after that point and it gets into something that I just want to see more of Utah's offense has been better than I anticipated this year partially just because Donovan Mitchell has really come on and he's been better than I thought but there are going to be times when they're going to have to come back from behind and it's going to rely on on a real team effort for them and I certainly believe they can do it but they're going to have to do that probably more often in the second half of the season and we're gonna and that that might end up determining whether they make the playoffs or not yeah and Rodney Hood we mentioned he he was actually one of 10 not one for 11 but 0 of 6 on threes and he's the guy who I think if you're going to go with those lineups presumably with him Rubio you know out there and Joe Johnson you should be able to get enough um but Hood is not really a matchup guy who can just beat his his man and so he gets a lot of threes off with that great rise on his jumper very versatile jumper but if his three-pointer is not falling he really doesn't have another way to be efficient because he's not never going to get to the foul line never going to get all the way to the rim and so he's very reliant on that jump shot and that's David Locke pointed this out that he's had a bunch of games where he shot below 33 percent and that the Jazz have a very poor record in those games but if you're exclusively reliant on jump shots you're going to have more variance in your game to some degree is there anything else you have on this game or do you want to move on to one of the other ones this was a pretty eventful night yeah and and that is a great tease for this Warriors Dallas game and and some of the other ones we we want to get to Uh, but first uh this from the toothbrush that I use Quip toothbrush my sister was in town over Christmas so I was able to remind her that I used her term sweater teeth in the ads for Quip toothbrush and if you've never used an electric toothbrush before you can start brushing better today and you can avoid sweater teeth that's when your teeth kind of have this coating of plaque on them and you can feel it with your tongue and it feels like your teeth are wearing a sweater it's awful so don't get sweater teeth get quip toothbrushes they start at just 25 dollars. so i mean you're going to get much cleaner and get clean much more easily using an electric toothbrush and then quip is by far the best of the electric toothbrushes they start at just 25 dollars. it's basically the size of a normal size toothbrush as opposed to the bigger ones that you know you probably can't really travel with very well unless you just have like this huge stop kit the quip i just throw it in my bag and the other thing is you don't have to charge it it just runs on a triple a battery for three months and then all of the things that you just kind of do wrong and i used to do wrong uh, about brushing your teeth because you're lazy quip toothbrush like stops you from doing that right you can subscribe to a three-month plan and get a new brush head you know where you you just see like some of the toothbrushes that people have where they just are like ah you know i don't really want to get a new toothbrush uh they'll just ship you the new brush head right to your door it's got a timer on it for two minutes you actually will brush the amount of time that you're supposed to and then it's like will blip every 30 seconds you can know to go on to a different quadrant of your mouth so check this thing out the way to do it is getquip.com slash capspace that url getquip.com slash capspace easy remember we talk about capspace all the time on the on the program that'll get you your first refill pack for free when you get that quip electric toothbrush that starts at just 25 dollars, and they've got some features to sexy it up if you want to spend a little bit more than that as well but for 25 dollars, it's a great gift as well you can just get one for you and your significant other for 50 bucks out the door if you want to and once you have it you're just you'll be in awe that you ever use something else getquip.com slash capspace is that url again we get tons of great feedback on twitter and and, if you try one of these and you like it hit me up on twitter we like to send them those positive feedback as well to keep uh, them on the program so getquip.com slash capspace again is that url check it out so yeah this is a game you know we do so many warriors games so 
we weren't planning on doing this one but uh, because it was a, such a classic finish uh, i thought that we should check it out um it was a 125 122 warriors win steph curry with a, a three-pointer on a no timeout uh, after harrison barnes tied the game um uh, what were your uh overall impressions here this was not the greatest defensive performance from the warriors who have, have been really engaged before steph curry came back and they weren't great to, they weren't good defensively at all against memphis either so that's you file it away a little bit i don't think it's a big deal but also dallas deserves immense credit for making it a good offensive night for themselves they were hitting open threes they were 19 of 43 from distance and one of their real bread and butter things especially in that second quarter was the jj berea dwight powell pick and roll and they were lighting up the warriors powell had a career night tied his career high with 21 points seven to nine from the field two or two from three got to the line a bunch got a series of offensive rebounds including including one possession where i think he got two or three himself and so they were able to get those looks and even so i I thought dallas it's hard to say they outplayed the warriors but i thought they did a really nice job they were still down 10 with i think it was two and a half or three and a half minutes left and then in rapid fire the warriors basically just let them back in the game couple of turnovers one crazy one off a kevin durant block then yogi ferrell actually could have put dallas ahead missed that shot but then i think dallas went they went ahead anyway but it was on the next possession so i think it was it was a fun game in that way where you got a good shot from dallas and kind of a shaky one from the warriors and because a lot of guys had good nights yeah you mentioned dwight powell and i thought that dallas was doing a a couple of nice things with him utilizing his quickness being as at center being guarded by david west in conventional pick and roll defense a lot of the time and what they would do is rather than a pick and roll just where the guy's dribbling and you kind of trot up and you can weak it or you can ice it you know force the ball away from the screen or force him to go a, a certain way what they'll do is they'll have Powell sprint up to the top of the key throw him the ball right as he is arriving there and then Berea who is a great stop and stop and start athlete really smart guy those guys had a nice chemistry as you mentioned he'll cut off of Powell to get the DHO and a lot of times even Powell will throw it before Berea even has gotten to the point where it would be a straight up handoff on a screen like he'll catch it and then just throw it right back to Berea as Berea has started cutting towards the rim and then Powell will slip back to the basket again and that really catches the the big guarding him in trouble they don't know whether to switch it and then the big is not going to be as fast as Powell so he's moving up all of a sudden Powell passes the ball back then releases towards the basket and he was able to get some alley-oops there they were able to get Berea to turn the corner on those plays a lot and it was really just a, a nice very simple action that I think more teams could use especially if you have a mobile big against maybe a, a slower one so uh, they really caused problems for the Warriors there and then the Warriors were doing a ton of your uh, low resistance switches as well and that was leading to problems uh, with the Berea again matched up against West and so it was not the best Warrior defensive performance by any means uh, helped by the fact that the Mavs were on fire from three 19 out of 43. West John sorry West Matthews not West Johnson. West Matthews and Kevin Durant have been close in the career made threes which is something I, I keep an eye on and West blew past Durant actually in this game because they I think Durant was two ahead of him and he was seven to one in this game. Matthews was confident he was hitting a bunch of shots. I mean everybody really for them was taking him. Devin Harris jacked up five. He hit his I think he hit his first one and so it was one of those circumstances where it's like you want a guy to hit his first shot and Dallas has had great success this year with the lineup that Kerr called the Energizer Bunnies. Tim McMahon is is thinking about adopting that which is Berea, Devin Harris, and Yogi Ferrell all together. That trio didn't do particularly great in this game but that kind of makes sense because 
because the Warriors can they can handle a lot of the stuff they throw at it. But then the big exception to that was I don't think that I have to run off the top of my head that the Dwight Powell Beret stuff wasn't all with that lineup out there. But then that ties in with to me what was the other striking element of this game. Kevin Durant had 25 points on 23 shooting possessions. And so, you know, that's that's better than most players. But he had the advantage matchup almost every time he had the ball and settled way too often. I he could, It felt to me like if he had engaged a little bit more, driven harder, drawn some fouls, that this game could have been over in the third quarter and the Warriors are going to be on a back-to-back. We're covering the Houston game for the Twitter NBA show. And so he is so good that you change the expectations and he didn't meet those offensive expectations in this game. Yeah, it was interesting. And he had a, a good interview that I recommend uh, and a, a podcast as well with Anthony Slater in which he talked a little bit about, you know, changing his game to go to the mid-range more that driving to the basket is something that is fatiguing especially i think at this point in his career in the regular season uh you know he is content and he was very to just shoot over guys and he was very good in the first half as he scored 16 points on 10 shots but then dropped off uh still you know a reasonably efficient night with 25 points on 23 shooting possessions but you're right given the fact that he was so often on switches matched up against a yogi Farrell, or who actually is a stouter post defender you might think he's been getting some lessons from jj Perea on that <laughs> i think but not as much flopping he actually goes for for being a little bit stronger um yeah I, I thought he could have done better there steph curry continues to look awesome in his return we'll get to the end of the game but 32 points and eight assists for him six out of 13 from three he had spoken to marcus thompson about how when he was injured he was only shooting 38 percent from three and he was checking on basketball reference his stats and obsessing that he was under 40 percent and then uh by going 10 out of 13 in his first game back he was over 40 percent and now he's continued to improve that um i thought for dallas you know dennis smith had an interesting game he was the one mav really who shot poorly he was six out of 18 uh had 14.0 free throw attempts Uh, but you know i didn't think his shot selection was terrible i think you just you know they were giving him the shot they're going over uh, going under on him and most of the jumpers that he took were kind of wide open shots that you need to take it just you know they didn't go in for him and he's not that great of a jump shooter he's gonna have shooting nights like that he also had one play that was striking just because it doesn't happen very often where he effectively changed speeds on Draymond Green driving to his right and then got past Green and got a layup before he recovered and that just doesn't happen often and he was blowing by some of these switch defenders in this game including that dunk that he had on Jordan Bell oh yeah uh, where Bell Bell couldn't even get off the ground like he was guarding him on a switch Smith one dribble to his left and then takes off almost from the dotted line it goes up for a two-handed dunk off of two feet before Bell could even jump it was just like you could tell Bell was just shocked that like he got up that quickly you see those moments from Smith and you go okay we'll give him time to figure the rest of this stuff out he also needs to care more on defense but that wasn't really what decided this game and I think I think that's as good a transition as we're going to get have one more thing on Smith too I I thought his passing looked pretty good in this one I mean he had a couple of drives where he he could have passed out but eight assists in 29 minutes and I thought he was pretty useful I mean because his assists are generally leading to like threes or layups and so he was uh I thought he showed good patience and didn't take that many bad shots you know when he got into trouble he was able to pass out of it most of the time in his first three shots the one he made was the worst one it was like shot at like a 30 footer and made that one yeah. and then missed the other two that were pretty open uh, okay but yeah you're gonna transition to, towards the end of the game here yeah so i mean I, I i mentioned this before but it's it's worth repeating that the warriors were up 10 with about two minutes to go and so it, you're kind of settling in they still have their it wasn't the the hamptons five you still refuse to use that because Iguodala yeah, but, did not play in this game yeah so they they originally were using jordan 
Jordan Bell, and then they ended up switching to Patrick McCaw. And the Mavs deserve credit for continuing to fight, but the Warriors just made some pretty just sloppy mistakes in that end push. Yeah, I mean, the Warriors led by 10 after a Steph Curry layup, 120 to, to 110. And then after a Wes Matthews missed three, the rebound went right back to him. Uh, not a ton of hustle there from the Warriors. Uh, and that led to uh, Yogi Ferrell making a corner three. And then the turnovers began. And that really, I mean, you know, turnovers and three shot fouls, right? Are those always the keys to these comebacks? And so Draymond Green pushed off on an inbounds pretty blatantly uh, and got an offensive foul. Then uh, we saw those two crazy turnovers you talked about uh, and that Kevin Durant settle that you talked about uh, as well. Uh, meanwhile, Harrison Barnes got to the foul line for a couple. And then Wes Matthews made a three after KD blocked Yogi Ferrell and, and got a defensive rebound. And then uh, Dwight Powell stole it from him and got it to Matthews. And then Draymond Green inbounded it. Yogi Ferrell stole it again, went to the right corner and barely missed a, a three that actually could have given Dallas the, the lead. Um, and so they're right back in it at that point with those eight straight points without the Warriors. They had three turnovers and you know one missed contested 21 footer during that period. And so then Dallas ends up getting the ball back and Harrison Barnes goes to, uh, he off of the Smith drive, he goes to a mid-ranger, a shot that both the fan bases in watching this game were very familiar with. And he, he uh, and then that was the one where he got fouled, right? No. No, that was uh, the one where he just shot this... a mid-ranger. He shot, yeah, he shot it from the free throw line. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Smith had a nice drive, got double teamed, picked up his dribble, and he threw like this long looping pass uh, that, you know, it, it could have been an open three. And, and that's, we talked about that in the 15 and 60, that Smith's kind of passing accuracy and speed. He'll see the pass, but it doesn't quite get there. But it still gave Barnes enough of an advantage to elude Steph Curry and hit a jumper to tie it. And then the Warriors went for a timeout. I liked the timeout with 39 seconds remaining because that's when you want to set up the two for one. And so they ran their cyclone play, which we also talked about in the 15 and 60, where Steph Curry will set a back screen for a power forward. It was Draymond Green in this case, but uh, Dallas was ready for it. They switched it. And then off of that, they got Draymond in the post and Wes Matthews just, there wasn't even a screen. Clay Thompson just like Wes was trying to pressure him up because he brought the ball up court and Clay just went back door on him and made this kind of lucky twisting layup to put the Warriors up two. And then Carlisle went with what was a fateful timeout in a couple of ways. Number one, he put in Dirk Nowitzki for Dwight Powell uh, to space the floor. And then I loved the design of the play. They went to Patrick McCaw, who was still in. They had KD guarding Durant, but then they ran a, a screen to get the switch KD onto whoever it was with the entry. And then they threw it to Barnes guarded by McCaw at the free throw line, that old Dirk uh, office hours. And Barnes was able to just go right through McCaw for a spin move and a layup and the Warriors couldn't bring help because there was so much shooting on the floor and I think they were concerned about giving up a three which I probably would have been too in that situation so they're really you know KD was kind of there but he also was switched on to Yogi Ferrell so he couldn't guard you know it couldn't come too hard because Ferrell was standing there in the corner and then the Warriors went to the no timeout which was a fantastic idea with Dirk Nowitzki on the floor it was absolutely the right call it was about 10 seconds to go which so I, I was going to ask you about this at the time because you you weren't watching it live and I was my thought has been it because the Warriors took too long and didn't get the two for one so Dallas got the ball with about 24 seconds left and so for me you can kind of go in two tracks one of them is you can go late and go with the three because that way it's like you're basically you're playing for the last shot and, nah, and you go you go right away I, I Jim Barnett was was agreeing with you but I know I, I mean I think the math is in your favor there you got to go right away because you give yourself time for an offensive re- I mean when you're down you need to give yourself as, as many, many chances, chances as you can 
<clears throat> yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah, I mean I, like you, you, you got to just like say, hey, you know what? Like we got to give ourselves more chances, whether it's an offensive rebound, because you, you also have the ability to send all of your guys to the offensive glass, which more teams really should do when they are down. Like everybody should be sprinting to the offensive glass when you're down in the last minute and, and missing a sh- or, or with the shot clock off like that. And then you also can still foul. You could try to get a steal on, on the inbound, hope that they miss one shot. You can come down and try and, and, and hit a three. So I th- and I mean, I think yeah, I think. I agree yeah. with you on substance, but I think for two reasons, the Warriors might be a little bit unusual in terms of this. One is they are a very potent offense. And so in if you're going for a two, your best case scenario is that you're giving the Warriors the opportunity to take the last shot. And so that's one issue. And then the second one is if you want to get into a free throw battle, they're probably in terms of the guys that you can get in those late situations, unless they screw up the inbound, which they have in the past, that they have guys who can make those shots. So if that's the way you're going to go with it, I think you're right in like 95 percent of the circumstances but i think this might be in that five percent yeah you could say that i mean you could also make the point that you know if you're gonna go with dirk Nowitzki, who's just so easily attackable by a steph curry that it, maybe you do want to uh, try to run the time down but i guess you're, you're also i mean the idea too like of like oh we run the time down and we're gonna go for a three i mean you just you run the possibility too that you just like i, I mean i think the bigger thing too is just that like you want to give yourself the best possible chance to score that bar it whenever it occurs right if you end up running the whole 24 seconds off running your offense moving the ball around that's fine but if you're like okay we're going to intentionally run the time down now you're reducing your chances of making that first bucket to the point where i think you're in trouble so no i i, I think you got to just you're down you got to tie the game any way you can do it as fast as possible go fast give yourself a, multiple chances at it and, and because you're you're basically you're not only looking at it as like okay you know one shot but it's like time as well the more time that you have you know if you only have 10 seconds you just can't go through as many options so you got to look at it as like you're going through all the options in your playbook you're moving the ball you know you're not you don't have like that sixth defender which is you know the end of the game clock there uh, causing problems for you well if you're going for a two absolutely you go as quickly as possible the idea for a three is basically the all or nothing proposition and so i don't want to get get so now you can go for the three and then use the threat of that to get the two and that's in fact kind of what they did here yeah that is what they did here of the space um, I mean, it wasn't directly a play for a three, but it was. Yeah, uh, it, it, it was. It, it was, it was a possibility, and it was a possibility that scared the Warriors enough that they effectively they didn't concede the two, but they they didn't they didn't make it as hard as they could have because they didn't want the three. So what that led to was ten seconds left. Curry brings it up a little more slowly than I expected, but I think that's because they saw exactly what they wanted to do the whole way. Set Draymond set a high screen because yeah, it, it was, was interesting actually. Dennis Smith was on Curry, and you could see him telling Yogi Ferrell, "No, you go guard him. You go guard him," <laughs> which was. <laughs> which is funny so Farrell Farrell went out there I guess Dennis uh realized that uh he was uh not as good of a defender <laughs> as Yogi Farrell I guess which is uh some decent humility I suppose from Dennis maybe he could also just like try to be a better defender but uh you know he's got better tools than than uh, Yogi does but you know I, I guess he realized that Carlisle would have wanted Yogi on, on stuff and and Dirk got out there for a late contest but I don't think Steph really felt it that much took the three oh, not at all. took the three no, I, made it with three seconds left and Dallas didn't have a timeout left and that was all she wrote yeah and this always kills me too like when you have three seconds left uh just like I know you have a small chance of actually completing the pass but like throw the inbounds pass to midcourt if you have no timeouts left because if you inbound it anywhere short of midcourt like there's just not gonna be enough time to get any kind of a real shot so you might as well just throw it there it's probably gonna get picked off it's probably not gonna be complete but you're completely dead in the water if you don't do that to begin with so um it's one of these like oh we're gonna stay in the game 
for another three seconds instead of turning it over but if you don't get it in further far enough down the court then you're screwed anyway um yeah on that last play it really seemed like Dirk because you know Rick Carlisle probably wasn't like oh hey if we score Dirk you're still going to be in the game if they go no timeout what are we going to do uh make sure you uh guard Steph Curry in a pick and roll um and it was great recognition of course uh, from Green and Curry uh, as well and so Dirk you know probably would have been better if he were up further on the three-point line but Steph had enough time where he could have just driven around him and it would have gotten something juicy either way I mean there's really you know or or Dirk could have switched it and that wouldn't have you know that would have been better than the ultimate result but wouldn't have been great either I mean what they really probably should have been doing was trapping Steph Curry but you know again that that Dirk is probably even too slow to do that and uh you know that's why he's it's tough when you're been in the league for 20 years I guess yeah I remember I I I had some thoughts on some other games because this was uh, a 12 game night as always there's just so much going on and I'm like oh we can talk about it if we if we're running short and you're like we never run short and you were exactly right because we still have news to get to yeah well i mean you know when whenever we can spend 15 minutes discussing one minute of actual basketball like <laughs> we just did we have to <laughs> take take that opportunity um i mean no let's let's do some like a lightning round all right i'm gonna you watched more of these other games than i did today so so i'll pick one i'll pick one and talk about it well well here no here's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna i'm gonna set a timer for 90 seconds and i'll just wind you up and you can go so here here we go let me uh let me do this here and all right sixers and spurs here we go the spurs played their b plus squad danny green Kawhi leonard weren't out there uh tony parker wasn't either and they competed they were in this game game until the end but Joel Embiid was 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 partially too much and just overall quality offense from the Sixers I thought they did a nice job um overall Simmons got to the line 15 times and my favorite moment as surprises no one is Embiid just absolutely stuffing the life out of Joffrey Laverne regularly which was just a disaster to begin with yeah and I didn't see this but people were tweeting about it apparently that the Spurs were in control and then they started going to hack a Simmons and Simmons actually was 10 out of 15 and uh, had 26 points in this one um and lamarcus 24 points but uh patty mills uh against his old uh, australian national team coach brett brown uh came up with 26 which i assume is a season high all right what, what else did you watch i'll just do some quick hitters uh i watched the end of brooklyn minnesota dinwiddie got a a, a nice shot i mean it was it got a, a a nice shot on taj gibson they got it on a switch late clock and then the t wolves had a timeout and they basically basically ended up with Jimmy Butler hero ball and he shot at contested too. It kind of seemed like they could have done more with it. Houston, I didn't watch much of this game, but what was most striking to me, they played in Orlando and won easily was the game was in hand. They were up by 20 with five minutes to go or around five minutes to go. Eric Gordon, Chris Paul, and Ryan Anderson were still in the game. CP didn't come out until three and a half left. And then in Toronto, the short lived so far, but we're going to have to keep an eye on it. Surge and DeMar DeRozan three pointers. He was five of eight from three in this game 35 points uh, on he have set the franchise record on Monday against the Bucks with 52 points and then DeLon Wright was crazy he had a, a big stretch 25 points plus 28 in 30 minutes and I mean I don't know how it how a fan base can hype as many guards as the Raptors fans have but they deserve it so far yeah if they can get nine out of 13 three-point shooting from uh, Wright and DeRozan that should be good but yeah I mean this will be something to, to monitor with DeRozan uh, for sure um also noteworthy 
noted that uh, OG Ananobi has fallen off a little bit, uh, has not scored in double figures in quite some time. He was negative 14 in only 16 minutes in this one. Um, anything else you want to talk about game-wise, or should we uh, hit up some news here? Well, we can talk briefly. Uh, it was, at the very beginning of Detroit-Miami, Boban was killing Hassan Whiteside. Then they switched to Kelly Olenek, which is the natural counter to Boban, is just play a guy that he can't defend. And Miami had a big clutch stretch, which is something that's going to come up because I am faithful to my to the idea of that if I do an award stuff at the beginning of the month, I'm not going to change it. But there's something that happened in that game that made me feel like a gigantic idiot, but I still refuse to change my prediction. So I'm dealing with it. Yeah, Andre Drummond missing that one with a rib contusion. Stan Van Gundy, uh, always with the nice thing to say about a player that it's about pain tolerance. Uh, no doctor said that he couldn't play. Uh, so basically, like, why the hell would you ever say that as a coach that you're basically, I, I mean, the guy has like a really bad rib contusion like i'm sure most mortal people are not gonna be playing with that but you still just make him sound like a wuss like oh his pain tolerance is too low to play like just don't say that about your player ever even if it's true (laughs) (laughs) so i think where we should start with news is with the philadelphia 76ers they are getting closer with markel fultz he is in i think they called it the final stage of his like recovery he played played a little bit of four on four they the clipper the the sixers social media even put out like a highlight reel of his i think it was new year's day he did a little bit of like kind of practice scrimmage stuff but unfortunately Furkan Korkmaz is going to be non-weight bearing for at least three weeks because of a Liz Frank injury and so he'll be reevaluated in about six weeks so he's he's going to be unavailable probably i mean it's more a delaware thing than a sixers thing but he's going to be unavailable for a while yeah i mean with some of their struggles he might have actually gotten a chance recently with just the lack of shooting that they've had on the wing but yeah i mean i those are nasty injuries i mean if they're not even talking about him doing uh rehabilitative basketball training boy these are just some mealy mouth say absolutely nothing press releases the Sixers have actually gone to this policy where Brett Brown now no longer will answer questions about injuries which you know that sounds uh, other than just like hey is this guy playing tonight or not um which is I always thought it was kind of weird that the coach has to be the one to give those updates but the Sixers sure as hell aren't making like the medical staff uh, available and Brian Colangelo isn't going to talk about that so it's just press release and here you know try to figure out whatever you can from sourcing or or anyone else um well actually there's one other thing i should note on that because yeah. it was expected that joel Embiid wasn't going to play in the game against the the spurs because it was uh brett brown did say something about his injury because he had this he has this hand thing that it was like oh, i think it was like fireworks yeah, going off it was doubtful yeah, he was doubtful and then and so like all the reporters like oh he's not going to play and then he's in the starting lineup so that's a, another one of the injury reporting a different flavor of it but another thing with the sixers yeah and so just from that video like fultz's jumper doesn't look quite the same as UW's release looked a little bit lower in front of his head but at least like doesn't look completely screwed anymore so you know hopefully we'll get back to seeing him in game action and we can all be reminded of why you know we thought he was going to be a consensus number one pick and, and worthy of that designation uh in other 2017 draft injury news Jonathan Isaac with that troublesome ankle he has just been kind of taken out of circulation at this point he's they placed him in an injury rehab and conditioning program I mean, I'm not sure what he was doing when he was out before and how that's supposed to be different but whatever it is i think they you know with the magic going nowhere this season they want to say hey you know what he re-sprained his ankle let's just make sure he's like absolutely 100 let's make sure he's he's in great shape maybe he'll even play you know a little rehab in the g league or or, or something like that um in indiana victor oladipo as they got crushed by the bucks tonight by 21 points and have been completely non-competitive without him he has missed the last four with a, the designation has been nothing more than sore right knee but he continues to be ruled out pretty far ahead of the 
these games and so you wonder you know sore right knee you don't know what's causing that is it tendonitis is it swelling is it, you know you don't really know what it is you think there's probably something underlying uh but apparently they're like the worst team in the league without him so they better get him back soon going back to the 2017 draft class uh De'Aaron Fox returned there was a little bit of concern because he, he there was a moment in that game after uh, he had a quad tear that he looked off but he, he did stay in the game so that that's nice and you know I, I've, I was gonna say something about how the Kings need him but a he's a r- young rookie point guard and b they're awful either way so it's good to see him back though because he is a big part of their future and they need to know exactly what they have in him yeah and in OKC Andre Robertson will miss all three games of, of this road trip which started in outstanding fashion as they destroyed the Lakers by 37 tonight uh Alex Abrinas who has had a pretty much a lost season to date out with a groin injury so that meant that Terrence Ferguson started and he had 24 points nine of 12 from the field six of nine from three and three steals tonight so that's uh that's encouraging you know he's not going to get to play the Lakers who are really kind of in a tailspin now one in 11 in their last 12 games and it seems like just the wheels are starting to come off there to some degree they are they did get Brooke Lopez back in this one he came off the bench 16 minutes and then Lonzo who amazingly despite the fact that he had shot so poorly this year it does seem that they have quite missed uh he is hoping to return on Friday and uh one more thing here is one of our favorites uh, is going to be in maybe the best place that you can be to develop in the G League. Yeah, a, a, a machination that you wouldn't be surprised to see the Miami Heat pull off, where they signed Derek Jones Jr. to a two-way contract. He had been on it. He had been on a full con- an NBA contract with the Suns. They let him go, and then they they brought him to the Northern Arizona Suns, and then the, they basically Miami signed him away. But how they had to do that was they had Matt Williams Jr. on a two-way contract. They let him off his two-way contract, re-brought him into the Sky Force, and now Derek Jones Jr. is on it, and Miami has done a wonderful job of developing players, and one of their specific strengths is helping guys who are athletically gifted develop a more complete game, and for me, Tyler Johnson is the poster child of this. He he just got so much better when he was in Sioux Falls, and now he's translated that into a nice NBA contract and, you know, a big part of their success so far this year, so not saying that's necessarily going to happen with Derek Jones, but they will take the time to develop him as long as they can have it yeah and with justice winslow now having been out since december 13th uh, with uh his left knee is yet to return to, to practice rodney magruder another product of course uh, of that sioux falls system uh has been out all year with that stress factor so jones actually might play a little bit uh, and dan waiters has been out as well for a, a few weeks with his ankle so they do need some bodies on the wing so this is a nice combination maybe he can help oh carl white's out too so maybe he can help them a little bit for the time being probably not but uh he at least plays the right position and is so incredibly athletic that you know the heat really helped players improve their bodies as well that's something that he needs to do from a strength standpoint and hopefully eventually he can be you know a really athletic small ball four type of guy even if his shot doesn't necessarily come around and he's he's just he's got these great gifts he's got to play harder and you know the heat uh sioux falls they're going to teach him how to do that there if anyone can so when is your uh, when is your next uh danny story time coming out probably tomorrow at some point we're recording our awards pod uh and i've been working on a uh actually a bulls piece which will hopefully go to the athletic at some point so i think i'll do it after i think i'll do it tomorrow during the day after i get those things done all right yeah well uh, we uh also have to record our awards pod tomorrow that will be how we end the week and don't forget about the twitter nba show thunder clippers is the nightcap but uh, the big game warriors at houston we will talk to y'all tomorrow till then 
Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 